0: Welcome to the Faith Debate on News Radio 930 WFMD. Theonomy, anyone? Theocracy, anyone? How about pornography, anyone? We're going to be talking about that today on The Faith Debate. Daniel Rasby's is over there smirking in the corner like, Oh my gosh, why did I bring this up? What have I done? He's regretting the conversation we had right before the show. Daniel Rasby is one of the pastors at a church that meets in Thurmont, uh, meets at Imran's house, and they have a website for a ministry that they uh, do as a family for quite a long time now. It's been a number of years. It's called Conquered by Love Ministries. and Their website is conqueredbylove.org. And um, Elijah Dirksen, I'm meeting him, you know, for the first time with these recording sessions on these topics, but he's known Daniel for quite a few years. And um, I'm surprised that, you know, you guys, with all the bickering we've had these last few (laughs) weeks, have gotten along so well over the past, like, half-dozen years or so. We need to find
1: a different topic. (laughs) (laughs) Trust me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Elijah Dirksen is a seminary student pursuing a Master of Divinity degree uh, at Whitfield Theological Seminary. I, of course, am Troy Skinner. I say, of course. Maybe it's your first time listening to the show. I'm Troy Skinner. I've been hosting this show since 2004, and I am the pastor of... Of a, of a church in Frederick called Household of Faith in Christ. You can connect with the social media, you can connect with the show, you can connect with me, you can connect with the guests on the show, whatever, at householdoffaithinchrist.com. That's householdoffaithinchrist.com. So related to some of the things we've been talking about in recent weeks, when we're talking about theocracy and sacralism and Christian nationalism and all those sorts of things, part of the dialogue so multifaceted, isn't it? It's part of the problem. Actually, we can't make headway because we're <laughs> spinning our wheels in different directions. Uh, it's like a tug of war. You know what I mean? It's like a, it's like a t- one of those. You ever see those tug of wars? I think they do it at, at Awana, where there's multiple teams tugging on the rope at the same time. There's like four, five, six teams pulling on diff- like all the ropes are connected in the middle. And so it's not just a linear back and forth. It's like multidirectional. And that's kind of what the, this Christian nationalist theonomy kind of thing is like. We're all over the map on this. And part of the discussion uh, involves Dennis Prager. One of the yes. leading voices in "quote unquote" conservatism, although yes. I've never quite bought that. He's he's a neoconservative conservative at best. But anyway, um, Daniel's been following that a little more closely than I have. So, so what, there, how so did Prager get it wrong
2: this time? Well, so there's, uh, I actually agree with a lot of what Prager says. Okay. In his videos. how to get it right this time? But uh, but not in this, <laughs> not in this case. Okay. In this case, very wrong. But I'm just saying, in general, I do agree politically on many issues. Yeah, with I do Prager too. Stuff. I do too. But. Dennis Prager is, he gets is, a lot of the moral ones wrong though. He is he's he's a Jew and I don't know if he's orthodox but he's uh, they, he was just involved in a series done with the Daily Wire on Exodus and is Dennis Prager is the one running that I think but Ben Shapiro was there uh, on one, at least of this episode and Jordan Peterson was there who I, I would say I'm, I'm not really necessarily sure if he's if he's a Christian. He he doesn't even really tell you normally. Was there a Christian in the room? I don't think there was a, anybody in the room that I would say is, is definitely a true, obviously a true believer. I mean, Shapiro's not. He's Jewish. Shapiro's not. Prager's so, Jewish, and I don't know so what... So they were talking about Exodus as a documentary of, you know, what, how, how the the law was given and what is what is the book of Exodus about and how does it apply at all. And Dennis Prager made the comment, and uh, this probably is a few months ago by the time this is airing, but... Uh, Then he made the comment something to the effect of... uh when we get to the the commandment that says thou shalt not commit adultery these christians have added something to that which is lust and that's a thought crime and there's the di- difference between judaism and christianity that judaism punishes only um, actions and christians punish thoughts and i can i'm so glad we have all these christians and it's wonderful but i'm not good enough really to be a christian basically what he said
0: none um, of us are and uh, that's kind of the point actually
2: and and he said judaism has no such thing there's uh, you cannot commit adultery with your eyes Eyes. There's only one organ you can use to commit adultery, and he said, and he said, I'm not trying to be crass. That's literally it's impossible to commit adultery with your eyes. And he ended up because of the logical way that argument took him. He ended up having to defend pornography, basically saying that that's because Peterson doing, brought it up, right? I think Peterson clobbered him with that, right? Exactly, exactly. And and I don't think he expected. Um, Dennis to, to really just dig his heels in and, and he did and so this has been making the rounds on a lot of uh, pastors have been talking about uh, how this is a, a, a moral problem because even consider even if you throw out the New Testament entirely you can get heart crimes throughout the Old Testament like it, it's it's clear time and again that God values the heart and and, and obedience in your heart not just your outward actions uh, and so yeah I think I think uh, Dennis, got it, it, and I was talking with Elijah Elijah said it's it's ironic to hear a Jew talk about how Christians are too egoistic, um, because they're, usually Jews are the ones that are adding extra things to the Torah um, that, you know uh, extra rules and laws and things and this kind of relates to what we were talking about a week or two weeks ago where Troy you were hitting me real hard with well if you're going to punish adultery you've got to punish lust too and I was like yeah lust is wrong I'm not saying it's not wrong but Dennis no. has one little bit of a point in that what you get capitally punished for was the actual physical act, not the thought. He, he missed the point that the thought is also wrong and is sinful. But what the government is punishing somebody for is the act, and that's, and that's the... But it's uh,
0: not just sinful. It's a particular sin. It's the sin of adultery.
2: <laughs> so says Jesus. In your heart, adultery. In your heart, he does. He does clarify that you haven't committed adultery with your body. You've committed in, in your heart. Right, and that's
0: kind of where I'm. I, I was making the distinction before. See, the, and, and I want to pivot in a second. By the way, we're going to be talking about well,
2: that's, that's murder too, right? I mean, you would, you would support capital crime for murder, and Jesus says in one, of the, either the very next or the previous verse, if you hit your brother, you've murdered him. Exactly, which is why I'm consistent. So you, you would not support capital punishment for not murder in the
0: heart. But you would support capital punishment for murder. I'm saying you're advocating for capital punishment for adultery, and yeah. I'm saying, well, Jesus defines adultery for us, and yet you don't want to you don't want to institute he, capital he, punishment. He defines for murder as
2: Jesus defines murder. Right. Hating somebody in your heart is murder. So I'm, should we should, should we penalize hate?
0: No, because I'm not advocating
2: for crimes of the heart. I'm not, uh, for capital Neither punishment. Am I. Neither am I. I'm only advocating for punishment for crimes of the, of the action of the body. You're advocating, well, as I'm understanding it, I feel like you're
0: advocating for crimes against God being capital offenses. No, I'm, I'm Idolatry is an
2: offense against God. I'm advocating only for the things that are listed to, for the government to punish in the Old Testament to be capital offenses. For government. Israel. Whatever. Which was a nation set apart to
0: be clean. Whatever, but America is not. What? Do you, no, that's the central. Whatever. That's the, that is the question. Should should we? America not, has not no, been set no, apart to not. be clean. Should we, we not
1: strive to be clean? Isn't that a good thing for our country to, to strive towards? To be pure in the sight of God. Christians
0: should, well, why, and we why, can because of the power of the Holy Spirit. To the nation, the, uh, the, those who aren't Christians can't. So so it's impossible. So, so how are you how are you They're fighting? all guilty and they should all be stoned to death right now. But, but praise ha- God, Christ has paid that penalty for those that will accept it. What happens if everyone in a country is a Christian? You would have the equivalent at that point of Israel. Ancient okay. Israel. So it is it is something that Theoretically, we could get to no, not theory. It's fact. It existed one time in history. So theoretically, By it could happen b- again. No. Well, in
2: eternity, at the return of Christ, and now we get to the millennial and imp- right. postmillennial th- thought. Okay. So, that, and that's the point. That N- guys nice
1: lead into the discussion because Israel is a
2: picture
0: of what it's supposed to be like, and they fail miserably. Their prophets, sinners. Their kings, sinners. Their priests, sinners. Their people sinners they failed across the board and then christ comes along as the true israel and does what the ancient israel didn't do and then we're grafted into that believing jews right believing gentiles grafted into that and then we live out in perfect fullness what was supposed to be the case three thousand years ago for all eternity when christ returns so that and if we lose the uniqueness of of Israel, of ancient Israel, I got to distinct it from the present day, modern nation day state. Um, if we lose the distinctiveness of ancient Israel, we really muck up our understandings of what eternity so is. No nation can kiss the
1: sun and turn away his wrath. No nation can be pleasing to God in your in your view, because in eternity there's not going to be nations, right?
0: No, there is a nation, a royal nation, a holy people.
1: It's nations plural in Psalm two.
0: It's talking about the the peoples, the ethnic groups coming together to form the one nation in Christ. That's the whole point of what the New Testament is teaching us. We're talking about ethnos. We're talking about the the surrounding the surrounding countries that were supposed to be influenced by Israel is what's being talked there with that plural nations. All Egypt or whoever, all the countries around Israel, are to so, be influenced by what Israel was doing. Just like now, the Egypt of today should be influenced by the Israel of today, which would be so three, of, three of those citizens are in this room right now. So
1: they're nations without being nations. They're, they're nations without the... Uh, Borders. Or they're, they're nations or peoples without no, that the con-
0: distinction. The context there isn't talking about geopolitical stuff. It's talking about people groups, the unbelieving people groups set apart and distinct from the people group that is a nation state that's to be an example of what will be forever in the future. And, and, and we, You're flipping. We can go there in a second. Real but I will say that to, to, uh, to transition now because we want to get into how eschatological views can affect all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, I think, three different views represented in this room, which is kind of interesting. And none of them are dispensational. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> because yes. a majority of uh, American Christians would identify as dispensational, whether they know it or not their theology is dispensational let's put it that way so we had a, a pretty lengthy discussion about eschatology on this show a number of months ago and as best as i can tell i think daniel rasby would fit uh if not squarely would fit best within a what's called a historic premillennial view and that is distinct from the dispensational uh premillennial view so right. he's a premillennialist but in the historic sense not in the
2: dispensational sense just and in, in one sentence that means that I believe in a literal thousand-year reign of Christ here on Earth that has not started yet, as of the date of this recording, and, and and but with the laws and and covenants not having gone away in the in the Old Testament, it's not that there was that was for that time and place, and now it doesn't apply at all. Yeah. So so that
0: view is that Christ will return, and then the millennium starts. That's a right. sort of pre-millennial, right? The, the the return is pre to the millenniums kicking off. Right. And, um, and it has not started yet as we speak. And some of the conversation we had be- before the show started, um, Elijah is uh, self-described as a post-millennialist. Now I'll let Correct. you do what Daniel did. You can describe what you mean by that. Well,
1: the, the idea of post-millennialism is that Jesus comes back after the thousand years, the kingdom of heaven, the millennium has been completed. The, it is a lead up to his second coming rather than the, the, the after show basically.
0: Now, just for clarification purposes, because Daniel made the point that he's expecting kind of an exact thousand years. Are you expecting an exact thousand year millennium? As uh, no. Well?
1: I would say a, a thousand years is a symbolic of a, a, a large number like an Jesus owns a, the cattle on a thousand hills, or he's faithful to a thousand generations.
0: Right, okay. It's, and you and I define th- that the same way, and which makes sense because I'm an amillennialist. And so, in simple terms, uh, the amillennialist view is kind of a combination of blending of your two views. So um, the millennium has already started, and uh, although Christ hasn't uh, fully returned for the second time, that's something we're going to talk about uh, here. We get into the preterist, uh, partial preterist uh, discussion, uh, but he hasn't returned in the way that he will. Uh, that um, when we're talking about millennial rains, that, that kind of return, uh, typically, that kind of discussion anyway. So the, the millennial rain has already arrived, but not in its absolute fullness. And then after it arrives, we'll experience a continuing rain uh, for an immense amount of time eternity <laughs> um, as an ongoing millennial reign uh, with, with Jesus King. So those are the three views. Now, it, it is related to what we've been talking about with the, the Dennis theonomy. Prager thing and theonomy and Christian nationalism all that sort of stuff. Uh, you guys talk for a little. Yeah. Explain how you see the connections and how these weigh in on how so, people are weighing in on these matters.
1: So basically, the idea of post-millennialism is I see in the Bible uh, passages like Isaiah 9, where it talks about Jesus coming as a baby, and then it says the increase of his government will never end. Um, so in my mind, Jesus' kingdom is going to continually increase and get more and more pervasive over the earth, and including the nations. So that makes theonomy a really important question to the post because we have to have this practical issue down for the amillennialist to sees the... Uh, I I believe the I don't know if you necessarily agree with this, but generally I, I think all millennials see the kingdom as something that happens in heaven but not appearing on earth.
0: No it appears on earth in the in the church okay
2: the church is the kingdom okay um, but not in the, the government there's no Jesus reigning as a government entity here on earth. During, before he, before the eternity he, starts, yeah, he, he governs his church. So in that sense, yes. But
0: as, and, a, and as both as, of us an actually the, the pre-millennial I
1: mean, view would say that it happens in the future with right. Jesus present. So for the postmillennialist, we need to figure this out. It, it, this is the nuts and bolts of what needs to happen. Because for both, the other two views, it's just a a dream, a a, a, a thought exercise for oh, the that,
0: post-millennial. That, no, I don't know. If that's true. Why, why do you why do you say that? Why was it only a, th- a thought exercise? Because uh, well, like Daniel's been advocating pretty hard
2: for his for a well, position. Well, I'm advocating for it, but I don't think it's possible. I don't think it's going to happen because I think it, we're going to be we're st- tending towards oh, okay. state of decay and corruption. And the, so are you just sl- the world is bege- is getting more and more evil until Christ returns and makes everything forcibly a theonomy uh, at, the, at that time. So it.
0: Are you agreeing that you're basically larping? Yeah, you know, you're live action role playing. It's not it's just a thought exercise.
2: It's not it's just it's just no, esoteric I th- I think, and Well, I mean, th- that's like saying well you're you're reformed and you believe only the elect are going to get saved so why would you bother witnessing to people well because God commands us to witness to people right so even if with with or without you they'll still be saved you could take a very extreme hyper-Calvinist view and say and say that there's no point in witnessing but that forgets the passage that says you must witness so similar to that I mean I think that Christians yeah I'll go should, further than that but that's a separate discussion and, and, and Christians, to, to, should, Christians should strive to make a, 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 a world in which Christian principles are being followed and the
0: government is part of that but God God does save through means. That's the difference, right? So if I witness to somebody, God might work through that witnessing to actually save them. So it's not just a thought exercise. It's it's a practical reality. And to be fair to amillennialism, they're not quite as
1: black and white as the premillennium, post-millennium as regards to optimism. There, There's optimistic amillennials who could see the entire world being transformed and then the end comes. But there's also the pessimistic amillennials who would see nothing but darkness
0: and despair and no chance of a christian government and i'm both okay <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds weird but i i, I don't mean as a joke i'm I, i'm both i see uh cycles ch- i see cyclical things happening okay, sure. in church history and in world history and that and that sort of thing And so sometimes things are on the ascendancy sometimes they're on the decline until christ comes that's just the, that's kind of the way it is during the now yeah, there's uh, there's a phrase that's used by all millennials a lot, right? That the now and not yet, or the already not yet. So Christ is now already and, King, but not yet in the way that He will be. That and, sort of thing. And honestly,
1: the average post millennial is probably going to agree at least partially with that. But we would say it's trending upwards. The the ups and
2: down cycles is going to get progressively better. And right, that's, that's, and it's kind of not to. Not to denigrate your view by comparing it to the awful climate change theories, but that is kind of what people say about when you say, "Oh, well, it was a it was a cold day today. We did so much for global warming, and they're like, "Well, no, there's cycles. it will progressively get warmer over hundred years." And what they what they mean by that is kind of what you mean by that, except I think, uh, you know, I don't want to really make an accusation that it's that it's in the same category as that. But I I would say uh, often people would call, might be more pessimistic about the future of the church, and I I would say no, I'm extremely optimistic because what I view is is a little bit different than the dispensational view showing especially a, 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 a... uh, Pre-tribulation rapture and people left behind and all that. I believe that we'll be here on Earth the entire time, and that's not actually a bad thing because we'll be protected here in Goshen, so, just like Israel. So when I say that I
1: think premillennialists in general are pessimistic, I'm not talking about in general. I'm talking specifically about in church history prior to Jesus.
2: Pessimistic about the, op, uh, the about uh, the success uh, where the church and the gospel is right, Where the successful is there will in be question. that nations be converted as a whole. Right. I think that'll happen pretty instantaneously. Because we're all optimistic after Jesus comes. Right. I I think that'll be kind of instantaneous that all Israel is saved, but it's at the point of of Christ coming. Now, this
0: might come across as a cheeky question, but it's not meant to be a cheeky question. Sure. But the church age is now 2,000 years old, Mm -hmm. about, you know, not quite, but almost 2,000 years old. So is your read on history... Uh, Does it align with that idea, that post-millennial idea that things have been generally on the increase? or has been an incline over time? Well, I
1: I would certainly say it is. We started out with 11, and how many people do we have professing to be Christians now? I'm not saying that all of them are Christians. But the church is in a whole lot better shape than it was at the very inception of it. Is the church in a
0: better place today than it was... I'm talking globally, you know. But mm-hmm. Than it was 200 years ago. Potentially not, but that—that's
1: those cycles that are trending upwards. We have some time periods where we do great, amazing things, like take over the Roman Empire or reform the Church. Oh, but I don't think also, that was necessarily a great thing. It was at the very beginning.
0: It, th- th- that was that was a sacralistic. Deal. That's how do you think we got the Crusades?
2: <laughs>
0: the, before, I'm
2: not so sure I agree that was, was a good before, thing. spread of the gospel before, through the Roman Empire, not Constantine. You're not correct. And, I'm not. I'm not
1: talking about how great Constantine is. I, I say I think that's hor- that his form of government was horribly flawed and a, a bad first experiment. But we went from a society where, if you were a Christian, you got tortured to death because you were a Christian, to the entire society. At the very least, not killing the Christians anymore. <laughs> and at the very least saying, okay, we're a Christian nation. And there were a lot of genuine converts that I think came out of the Roman Empire. A lot of the early church fathers did.
0: Yeah. That that strikes me as a little bit uh, Western-centric. I mean, there are people that are being brutalized in the Middle East, in China, so they're but not the, the they're chi- not feeling very post mill right now. Like there's an the church, ascendancy. The church
1: is also exploding in places like Africa, and even in those places where there's persecution, it's
0: absolutely I exploding. Agree. In that's China, that's why I think that fits better with an non millennial view. But there's I, this mix and match. There's this rising and, and I, falling, and it's in different parts of the planet at different times, depending, depending on where you are. As we're seeing in China, persecution makes the church grow.
1: That's what happened in the Roman Empire. That's why they were able to spread so quickly, because they were galvanized by that. And that's why the church in China is growing quickly, because they're galvanized by, hey,
0: you believe this and you die, but it's worth believing it. I think the persecution can make the church grow, but there was a time when the uh, northern rim of Africa and the Mediterranean was like 95% Christian. And because of persecution, it's almost 100% Muslim now. And to be fair, I, I'm not. So that the
1: persecution didn't make the church grow. And I'm not basing my optimism on what I can see in history. I I base it on what I think the promises of God are.
0: Right. So I, how do, I
1: think we should be able to see it in history, and I right. think we do.
0: Right. But it's yeah. not
1: the foundation of no, why yeah,
0: I am. I'm just trying to clarify because I, I, sure. I don't sure. quite see it. That's why I get part of the reason why I'm not. But, um, but just grappling with Scripture, how because how do, I don't know that I think I don't think I know the answer to this question. How does a, a post-millennialist, or at least how do you as a post-millennialist, grapple with the, uh, uh, the last book of the Bible in Revelation? How Revelation. Does, um, yeah, how does Revelation work in a post-mill? Well, I'm a partial
1: preterist. I'm a partial preterist, so I would say that the majority of what's going on in Revelation is happening before our time. So these these judgments are more local than global. Um, And with that in the past, I don't think there's any reason to say we have this horrible future ahead of us. Okay. So is there a specific part of Revelation you you think is? I, I think you said you're a partial preterist
0: as well. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is that, uh, and I, I would agree if you do say this, that you you're, you would be of the opinion that Revelation was written prior to 8070, maybe like 8068, something like that, maybe, right? Yeah, 67, 68, somewhere yeah. around that. Yeah. Okay. Or- so, and I actually, I'm, I'm sympathetic. I'm I haven't completely made up my mind, but I'm very open minded to it and highly sympathetic to that view, and. Uh, uh, Revelation doesn't tell us when it was written, so I I don't want to be too dogmatic about it. But I, uh, I, I'm, I'm appreciative of that. And yeah, so uh, we're using some theological buzzwords. Oh my gosh, we're out of time. (laughs) (laughs) Here I go. Stop looking at the clock. Uh, I'm not gonna have time to even play the music. I don't think. Darn it. Oh, well, we're going to figure this out as we go. This is the Faith Debate on News Radio 930 WFMD. Uh, Elijah Dirksen is the one who got me engrossed in the conversation, and I totally lost track of time. Uh, Daniel Razvi, I'll get some music playing here at least. Let's see if we can go. Daniel Razvi is, uh, is on the panel again this week. We're going to do at least one more show to try to figure all this out. Oh, I started the music at the wrong time. I ran out of music anyway. I'm just a mess. What is going on? The one who's a mess right now is Troy Skinner, uh, the pastor at Household of Faith in Christ. Don't hold it against our church. <laughs> <laughs> or online at householdoffaithinchrist.com. Thanks for listening to the Faith Debate on News Radio 930 WFMD. We'll be back next week in about 167, 167 and a half hours from right now. God bless.